Good morning, Docs Church. Guys, it's, uh, it's great to see you, great to be together today. If you're new and kind of checking things out, we haven't had a chance to meet you yet. My name is Rob, I'm one of the pastors here. It's, it's great to have you part of the, the Docs of family today, but here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna invite you to grab your Bible, and I want you to find your way to the Old Testament book of Jonah. Okay, so the book of Jonah, this might take you maybe a minute to find it. It's next to Obadiah, if that helps out. It probably doesn't, but this is why we love the uh, table of contents, right? So, book of, of Jonah. We're starting a study through this great Old Testament book today that's going to take us all the way up until Christmas. And, and guys, as we get into this today, all right, here's, here's what I want us to do. This is what I'm going to attempt to do already. As I want to give like kind of a, a flyover and introduce this book to you and kind of what Jonah is all about. And then what we're going to do is we're just going to dive in and we're going to camp out in the first three verses this morning. Okay, so sound good? I guess it really doesn't matter. I'm going to do it anyway, so if you, but we're going to get into this, okay? But guys, no matter how familiar you are with the Bible, all right, or how unfamiliar, or this is altogether new for you, like church, Christianity, the Bible, all that, chances are you've, you've heard a bit about Jonah. You've heard aspects of his story, that the most famous story in all of Jonah, and maybe one of the most famous stories from the entire Bible, is about Jonah being swallowed up by a great fish. You've heard that? Okay, some of you are like skeptical, and it's, we'll, we'll talk about that, but we're going to get into this in the weeks to come. We're going to walk through this, this entire book verse by verse, but here's what I need you to know about Jonah, all right? Jonah is actually about more than a fish, Okay? Like, you just need to know that the big theme of Jonah is not like the danger and the perils of sea travel or that God loves whales, okay? It's just, it's more than that. That's not the point of the book. But guys, the main point of this book is what we'll get into as we get into chapter 2, verse 9, but we're going to see it repeatedly over and over and over again. But chapter 2, verse 9 is actually the summation and kind of like it states explicitly what Jonah is all about. Right? It summarizes all that God was speaking to the Israelites in the time of Jonah, and I think ultimately what God is, is speaking to us today. But Jonah, chapter 2, verse 9, salvation belongs to the Lord. All right, this is the theme of the entire book, that in chapter 2, Jonah is praying, and in verse 9, he says, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to you to the Lord. This is the main idea of this book, and I would even argue that this is the central point and the central theme of the entire Bible. All right, that at the end of Jonah's prayer, in this belly of this great fish, he makes this confession that salvation belongs wholly and totally and completely to God. And as we go through this book, guys, it's my prayer that that statement, that we would understand this more, that we would get this, that we would grab hold of it, that some of you would experience it and that it would lead to just an explosion of worship, wonder, awe, and praise. And it would lead us to not just stand in a room like this with our hands out, but it would leave this room on the mission of God with our hands out. Does that make sense? This is the prayer. And I think this is what God is going to do through his words in Jonah. But guys, as we get into this, okay, if you know your Bible, there's a variety of different styles of writing within the Bible. And one of the genres that we find in the Bible, which is... Uh, where we find ourselves in Jonah is prophetic writing. And so when we think about the prophets of the Old Testament, okay, these were men that God used to really just stand in between himself and the people of the day. 
And God would speak to these men, he would speak to these prophets, and he would say, here's what I have to say, now I want you to go and I want you to give people this message from me. And so as we get into the prophetic books of the Old Testament, as you read these, these are largely just a record of what God was saying to the people through these prophets. And so the books of the prophets will read, well, God said to Nahum this, and then, and then Nahum said this, and then he said this, and then he said that, and then he said this. This is how the prophetic books oftentimes read. Now, what's so interesting, as we get into Jonah, we're going to see that Jonah is a very different type of prophet. All right, we're going to almost see immediately that it's not so much about what Jonah is saying on behalf of God, but God uses the life of Jonah as a, as a narrative to teach us something. That the pronouncements of Jonah are actually few, but his narrative of his life, they carry significant weight and a significant message. And as this narrative unfolds, okay, here's what it does. Because it's so familiar, and so many people know about this, guys, it seduces the readers into thinking that this is, the book of Jonah is really just folklore. Like many people will come to the book of Jonah and say, well, this is just like a, a good kid's story. And, and maybe that's some of you. Maybe you got, like, you're, you got my background, right? You didn't really grow up in the church, right? And like you see people and pastors stand up on the stage and they say something crazy like, hey, this dude gets swallowed by a fish and then he's in there for a while and then the fish throws him up and he's somehow okay. And Christians are like, yeah. And you're like, what? Really? Like you're buying this? Maybe that's some of you in here. That it, it, it's, it's really kind of like, it's hard. This becomes a sticking point for people. Maybe for some of you in this room right now because it deals with the idea of the miraculous. And so people will come to the book of Jonah and just dismiss it altogether because they, don't, they can't deal with the issue of, of the miracles in the Bible. And because of this, people will come to the Bible and, and many people will say, you know, if I could just kind of get over all the miraculous stuff that I see in the Bible, then maybe I could actually get to the question of who Jesus is. But since I can't make sense of all these miracles in the Bible, I can't ever get to Jesus. And here's what I want to say, guys. If that's you, I want to encourage you to turn your search the other way around. Because the fact is, guys, to reject the miraculous like actually lies outside of the realm of rational argument. Because here's how it goes, all right? People will, will say, hey, I don't believe that miracles happen. Therefore, this story could have never happened. It's this decision that gets made. I don't believe that miracles happen, therefore miracles don't happen, and therefore this story never happened. It's an a priori argument. Right, which really is just determining truth based on a theoretical deduction rather than on empirical observation. And so to say, like, I don't believe that miracles happen, therefore this story could never have happened, this is a statement, I just want you to hear this, that's based on faith. It's not based on science. Because science has nothing to say about miracles. That science deals in the realm of repetitive activity. And so science can ultimately only comment on that which can be put into a laboratory and produced and reproduced again and again and again. And then from there, scientific deduction is made based on the fact that something is producing and happening again and again and again. But by very definition, miraculous events are not like that. 
So it takes us beyond the realm of science, but many people today believe that all the miracles in the Bible are just impossible. And guys, I I just need to tell you this, like that type of skepticism is just a belief that cannot be proven. And the only reason I mention this is because I want you to hear this, is how you respond to the message of Jonah and the mention of the big fish and the other miracles that we're gonna see in Jonah, hear me on this, however you respond to that will determine how you read the rest of the Bible. That if you accept the existence of God and the resurrection of Jesus, which is a far greater miracle than what this, we see here, than this fish, it's not particularly difficult to read Jonah literally. And furthermore, I mean, Jesus, he even references Jonah and this fish incident as a historical event. So that alone ought to be enough for us to be convinced of the historicity of Jonah. But as we get into this, guys, we're dealing with real history. Jonah is not a myth. It's not like a fable. It's not a parable to kind of teach us something. And there's some great truths about God to be discovered through this book that relate to every single one of us. And I'm excited to see what God is going to do through his word. So with all that said, all right, let's get into the book of Jonah. Chapter 1, verse 1, as we get the first words. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. All right, so I'm going I'm to pause there. There's so much here to unpack, okay? But this is the usual way that an account of the prophets starts, all right? That God comes, the word of the Lord comes, and God comes to Jonah. He speaks to him. He's like, I got a message. Go tell the people. And this is the, the regular rhythm of the prophet's relationship with God, especially in times of crisis with Israel. God would come to the prophets, speak to them, and this is the word of the Lord. Now, let me just say this, okay? Doxa, everything begins with the word of the Lord. Your life begins with the word of the Lord. Your marriage needs to begin with the word of the Lord. Your family needs to begin with the word of the Lord. Your business needs to begin with the word of the Lord. Your relationships, your finances, your parenting, your decisions, everything needs to begin with the word of the Lord. You need to hear from God and be informed by God and be led by God through the word of God by his spirit so that you can have clarity and confidence and direction in any decision that we make moving forward. And so this book begins where all things begin. It's with God speaking. And as God speaks to this man named Jonah, all right, by this time in the account, Jonah has already been operating as a prophet of God. And we don't know a ton about the man Jonah. He shows up in the Old Testament in 2 Kings chapter 14, and there he hears the word of the Lord come to him. All right, so this is not the first time in Jonah chapter 1 that the word of the Lord has come to Jonah. He's experienced this before. But in 2 Kings chapter 14, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, and he goes and he speaks to a king named Jeroboam, who is just a wicked king in Israel. And through the word of the Lord, through Jonah to this wicked king, this king fixes Israel's borders and really just kept the nation of Israel from being blotted out and just destroyed by their enemies. And so by the time we get to Jonah chapter 1, this prophet has already had like a certain level of success in his ministry. He's been walking with God for a, a pretty long time, for the majority of his life. And so Jonah knew. He knew the power of God. 
He knew the power of God to save, to comfort, to heal, to judge. He knew that God is king over all. And this God comes to Jonah and he says, I want you to get up. I want you to go to a certain place with a specific message. And as we look at this, guys, the original readers of this account would have realized that this is like a prophetic account unlike anything that's ever happened before in history. That God called Jonah to leave Israel and go to a place, if you look back, called Nineveh. And this is really significant, all right, because up until this point in human history, the prophets of God have only been sent to God's people, the Jewish people. And while Jeremiah and Amos and uh, Isaiah, they speak words of judgment to other nations, God never sends them to another nation. So Jonah, he hears the word of the Lord, and and he's saying, go, leave Israel, go to this other group of people. This was a mission that was just like really strange for Jonah. He was like, wait, this is not how you usually do stuff. Like, you want me to go where? And so Jonah, he likely didn't understand it at first. And we'll see as we get into this throughout the weeks that it's not that he didn't understand it, but he actually didn't like it. But furthermore, this word of the Lord to Jonah was crazy because it wasn't just about leaving Israel and going to a different place, but he tells him to go to the great city of Nineveh. And to understand the book of Jonah and the message of Jonah, we need to understand Nineveh, okay? So let me tell you a little bit about Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria, which just dominated Palestine and much of the ancient world from around 930 to about 612 BC. And today, Nineveh can be found in the modern-day city of Mosul, Iraq. And Nineveh was just founded, okay? Nineveh was founded by a guy named Nimrod, okay? So immediately, right off the bat, a guy like Nimrod, right? He's either going to be really dumb or really bad, okay? (laughs) Roll the dice, maybe both, but definitely really bad. All right, Nimrod was just a bad dude. And Nineveh came and descended from this, this evil man, Nimrod. And they were really just the enemies of God's people. Brutal people. So no Jew would ever think about going to a place like Nineveh. Not only would they think about it, but they wouldn't, like, there was no chance. Like, they, they hated him. They would never go to Nineveh in Assyria. Because, guys, historically we know that Assyria was one of the cruelest, most violent empires in antiquity. I mean, if you look back to verse 2, God says that they're actually evil. And as we look at historical records and artifacts, like we see the brutality of these people. All right, we, we find things in pictures and deca- the depictions of how they went about conquering people and what they did. It was just brutal. And as historians have collected all of this data, many scholars will refer to Assyria as a terrorist state. And so in our modern world, guys, we're thinking about groups like Hamas that we're hearing all about. Just wicked people, bent, hell-bent on death and torture and injustice, just demonic in nature. This was, this was Assyria. Brutal warriors. They would come and they would overtake nations and they would conquer them, they would enslave them, they would just crush them. They worshipped a false demon fish god named Dagon, and they viewed the ruler of the, the empire as one with that god. And so if you didn't submit to him, you were just done. And after Assyria would take over cities, 
the people that were left that they didn't kill, what they would do is they would capture these people. And they would cut up, basically, they would take them and, and put them into slavery. But here's what they would do, guys. It's, it's wild. As they would capture people in conquest, they would cut off both of their legs and one of their arms so that they could go and in mockery shake their hand before they died. Furthermore, families were forced to carry the decapitated heads of their loved ones on poles and they marched them around through the city. They were known for tying people limb to limb and stretching them to such an extent that their body was literally ripped apart and then they would take the skin of those people and they would hang it all over the walls. Just terrible, evil people. And throughout history, guys, they had at least attempted three different times to take over and to crush God's people and just to wipe the Jews off the face of the earth. And in 722 BC, it finally invaded and destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel. But here's the reason why I tell you all of this. Guys, this is the city that God is telling Jonah to go to. He says, Jonah, I want you to get up. I want you to go to these terrible, violent, just wicked people. I want you to tell them that there is a God and he's not their demon fish God. And I want you to tell them, Jonah, that the one true God sees their wickedness and he's not happy. Now, we talk about this all the time. When we come to the Bible, we, we come asking questions. And at this point, like, we, we have some questions that we should probably be asking. All right, first, I don't know if you're, this is going through your head, but we would ask, like, why would God be allowed to go into this city and denounce it for being bad? You think about that? Like, what gives him the right to do that? Hear me on this. It's because God is judge over all the earth. You just need to know that that he is the creator king over every tribe, tongue, and nation of people. And regardless if people believe in God in this way, and if they see him and accept him in this way, it doesn't change the truth that he is in this way. That regardless of how the Ninevites believed and disbelieved in the one true God, that didn't actually change the reality that he is in fact the one true God. And this is true of all of humanity today. And that God, he has thoughts and he has ways and people don't listen and don't obey and don't follow these thoughts and these ways and the bible just calls that sin and so god tells jonah to go with this message of sin and disobedience to the ninevites but i want to, i want to just say this guys when it comes to sin this is part of all of our lives and so we might look at ourselves and say, I'm not sinning to the extent of the Assyrians. I'm not cutting people's heads off. I'm not torturing people. I'm not doing anything like that. But there is still sin in every single one of our lives. We all do things we shouldn't do, and we don't do things that we should do. This is, this is in fact, sin. And we need to understand, guys, that we will all one day, as Paul, the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans chapter 14, will all one day stand before the Creator, King, Judge, God and give an account of the lives that we lived. This is the truth of every single one of us. That one day, as Paul says in Philippians, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We will all stand before God to give an account. And Jonah, 
As a prophet of God, he knew this. And this leads to the second question I think we should be asking, and it's this. What would be going through Jonah's mind in this moment? Okay, just try and put yourself in Jonah's, like, what do you think? Word of the Lord comes to him, tells him to go to Nineveh. Like, what is he thinking about here? And I mean, I think it's fair to say that he might be thinking like, dude, you're kidding me, right? Like, these guys are crazy. And so maybe Jonah was like a little scared. I mean, we know from history that Assyria was not just brutal, but it was massive. Very strong city. The city itself was 60 square miles. All right, had over 600,000 people surrounding the whole city. Archaeologists and historians say were two walls, an outer wall and an inner wall. The inner wall is said to have been 50 feet wide and about 100 feet tall. And historians say that three chariots could cruise around the top of this wall at the same time. And then there were 1,200 different towers on this inner wall that stood about 200 feet in the air. And so this was an intimidating place, right? Just very intimidating. And it's likely Jonah was just scared. I mean, just think about this. If we try and like, think about it in a different way, this would be the equivalent of sending a Jewish rabbi into Berlin, Germany, during Hitler's Nazi Germany, right? Let's find a Jewish rabbi and let's just send him into Berlin and say, get Hitler together, get his SS members together, get a whole army and just say, hey, there's a God, you're not him, and he doesn't like what you're doing. Jonah's like, bro, they're going to kill me. Like, this is wild. And so maybe he's scared. I think it's also possible that he could be thinking about other prophecies that God has spoken through other prophets. Maybe he's, he's thinking about the prophet Nahum. That years before this moment, here in, in Jonah chapter 1, Nahum had prophesied that God was going to destroy Nineveh for its evil. And so it could be that Jonah was just thinking like, I knew that burrito tasted funny last night. I had a weird dream. Like, that, that must not be what God said. Because he's not, I don't, like, he said he was going to kill the Ninevites. That seems good to me. Like, he must not have been saying, this, is, this can't be what God is telling me to do. Could be thinking that. Or maybe he's thinking something else. Because, guys, as a prophet of God, Jonah would have known that when God sends warnings of judgment and denunciations, that there is always a loving heart behind it. Because God longs and loves for people to repent, have faith, and avoid the judgment. And Jonah knew this. He knew that if the word of the Lord came to the Ninevites, there's a possibility that they would repent of their sin. There was a chance that God would have mercy on them and that they would change. And quite honestly, Jonah was a patriot. He loved his country. He didn't like the other country. And this caused him to pause. And so Jonah hears the word of the Lord. He's likely thinking about a ton of different things. But what does he do? Look at verse 3. But Jonah. Okay? So God speaks, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down onto it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now, guys, this is, this is kind of wild, all right? That in response to God's call to arise and go to Nineveh, Jonah 
arose and went in the complete opposite direction to Tarshish. Okay, and then when Tarshish is mentioned in the Bible, in Isaiah and then in Psalm 72, it's, it's speaking of a, a remote and distant place. And so I want to show you this map. Okay, this will be helpful. Okay, so D- Jonah, he didn't just disobey a little, okay? I mean, this dude, he went five times the distance in the opposite direction. The next stop was America. He's coming, right? He just goes in the complete opposite direction. And so for a Jew at this time, when they thought about Tarshish, they were thinking about the furthest place that they could possibly, the end of the world. They were thinking like, this is the furthest place away from the temple in the presence of God. This is the furthest place away from God's people. And so Jonah decides he's not going to go to God's place, he's going to go to his own place. And he goes as far away as he possibly can. God told him to go to Nineveh to the east, and Jonah just went west. And at this point, I really just need you to see Jonah as a disobedient prophet. He's sinning against God here by hearing the word of the Lord and not doing what the Lord says. And this is really strange for a prophet. Because if you're familiar with your Bible, you read the other prophets, and it says that God came to Jeremiah and said, do this, and then Jeremiah does that thing. And then God shows up to Isaiah and says, hey, Isaiah, do this, and they do that thing. But the word of the Lord comes to Jonah and says, go. And Jonah's like, no, I'm good. And he ran away from the presence of the Lord. Now, back to what Jonah could be thinking. Why didn't he go? And if you're reading your Bible critically, you should be saying, well, these first three verses, we, I don't know, we can speculate, but we're actually not given the answer. And that's actually true. We actually don't get the answer to chapter 4, verse 2. So go ahead in your Bible to chapter 4, verse 2. As we look at this, we get the exact understanding of what was going on in Jonah's mind. All right, take a look. Jonah says, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Why? Here's what Jonah knew. For I knew that you are a gracious God. You're merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. This is why Jonah didn't go. And let me just say this, okay? Because for those of you who are here this is kind of altogether new for you, and maybe you're just trying to figure out like who God is and what God is like, I want you to remember Jonah 4.2. I really do. Some of you, you, some of us, I mean, we have just like a, a really malnourished view of God. And some of us, maybe we, we kind of view God as like a distant, far-off like unengaged, angry being who just is sitting on his throne in heaven looking down at you and just realizes you're just totally pathetic and he's just waiting for you to mess up so he can like zap you with a laser, right? Some of us view that. Like he's just waiting to crush me. And a lot of times that's a result of the families that we grew up in. Some of us, like maybe you're like me, that you grew up with a dad. Not a perfect dad, but a dad maybe that was just like distant, really hard on you. Never there for you. Just angry all the time. And what happens is what we, we come to God and we tend to project our experiences with our earthly father and our heavenly father and we get it all jacked up. God is not like that. 
He's not like that. Look back, guys. God is gracious. Someone here needs to hear that. He's full of grace. He's merciful. He's slow to anger. Full of love for you. And I'm convinced like, that so many people stay away from God or even run from the presence of God because they don't understand the nature of God. But Jonah knew something about God as it related to the Ninevites, and he didn't like it. So again, we ask that question. What is Jonah referring to in chapter 4, verse 2? Doc said it's this. He's referring to the fact that when the people of Nineveh heard the message of judgment, that they repented in sackcloth, they turned to God, and Jonah didn't like it. And so why didn't Jonah obey the word of the Lord? I think the bottom line answer is simply this, because he didn't want the Lord to spare Nineveh. He hated Nineveh. They weren't like him. They were from a, a different country, different nationality. They didn't speak like him. They didn't have the same worldview as him. And he did not want God to spare the Ninevites. And guys, he had this, this prior prophecy where he said in 2 Kings chapter 14, where God said like, hey, I'm gonna bless Israel, you know, and I'm gonna give you land back that's been taken, and Israel's gonna prosper. And Jonah in this moment is being like, finally, my nation, the greatest nation in the world, we're gonna become something. But if I go to Nineveh and I say repent, and these people actually repent and turn to God, God might bless them. And that might affect me negatively. So, no, I'm not going. I don't like that. He hates them. He doesn't want them to experience the mercy of God. And in this moment, Jonah just doesn't care about the Ninevites. He doesn't really even care about God's wants. And he just says, I have what I want. Jonah says, I don't like what you're saying. I don't like your plan. I don't like your desire. I don't like the way that you're seeing these people. You're not thinking right. I have desires. I have a plan. I have a worldview. No. Flat out, God, no. And if you know your Bible, guys, this is not just the story of Jonah, but this is all of human history. This is not Jonah. The same thing happened to the first of humanity in the garden. Do you remember this? Genesis chapter 2, one of the first commands, one of the first divine commands that God gives humanity is in Genesis chapter 2. Take a look. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day if you eat of it, you shall surely die. And then we see in Genesis chapter 3 that Adam and Eve, they see the fruit of this tree. It looks good to them. They actually desire it. And Adam and Eve, just like Jonah, many years later, decided, I know what I want. Don't really care about what God says. I know what's good. I know what's right. I'm more important than God, and they ate. And we know the story. Their disobedience, which is sin, broke everything and led to judgment and consequences and sin in our world, and that's why your life is so hard today, and that's why your cheeks are always wet. 
It's sin. And this is what Jonah is going to experience as we walk through this book. The divine judgment and discipline of God. And so Jonah doesn't want to listen to God. He does his own thing. He tries to flee from the presence of the Lord. And let's just stop there. Okay? He tries to flee from the presence of the Lord. This makes no sense. Right? And Jonah knows it. Because at this point in human history, the Psalms have already been written, and so he knows the Psalms. And he's, he knows Psalm 139, where it's like, where can I go from your presence? Like, I can ascend to so many places, I'm never going to go anywhere from you. I can descend, I'm like, there's no way I can flee from your presence. Jonah is trying to run from an omnipresent God. All right, that God is omnipresent, meaning that he is everywhere present. And so you cannot run from the presence of God, but this is exactly what Jonah is attempting to do. In his sin, he starts to think and do things that don't make any sense. And guys, I need you to understand this. Guys, sin just makes us silly, okay? It really does. When you're in sin, you all of a sudden start thinking just like differently and just jacked up thoughts and you're just kind of like, well, maybe I can rationalize this. It just, sin makes us think silly. Guys, it's kind of like this, okay? So before... Um, I followed the call to go into full-time ministry. I was a secondary education major in college, okay? So I was going to be a teacher. And I remember I was a substitute teaching, and this day I was with a kindergartner. So I'm not, I'm not like a kindergarten teacher, okay? I'm more like high school or not at all, okay? So, um, but one day I'm like with these kindergartners, right? And it's just like my job that day was told like, okay, just organization, organization. But then there's like this 15-minute part of the day where we just give them recess and they just go crazy in the room. So, okay, that's what they're doing. And there was this kid, can't remember his name, but he was just wild. He was that kid, all right? Just always breaking stuff, just a terror. Loved by God, but a terror, okay? So we're having this recess moment, um, and I remember all of a sudden I just hear this crash, Something shatters, and I go over to this kid, and I'm like, what did you do? And he's just standing there like this. I'm like, bro, I see you, okay? (laughs) But he just thought in his head, if I can't see him, he can't see me, right? Guys, I say that to say sin makes us do and think silly things. Jonah, what are you doing? I'm running from the ever-present God. Oh, man, that doesn't sound like it's going to work out super well. Right? But how many of us try to run from the presence of God? How many of you are running from God right now? Here's the thing for you to know. Because we can read this account of Jonah and think a lot of different things about this man. But I need you to understand this. We are like Jonah. Every single one of us. We are all like Jonah. That God speaks to us through his words in the Bible and we don't hear it, we don't listen to it, we don't obey it, and we rebel and we went away and we do our own thing all the time. And the truth that you need to know is that you can run from God, but God runs for you. Amen? And that's the great theme of the Bible. And this is the great theme of Jonah. Sinners run from God, but God pursues them through Jesus. You can't outrun God. And some of you, you've been running from God. 
and you've been trying so hard to escape the presence of God, and you're running, and you're running, and you're running, and you're in sin, you're in sin, you're trying to make distance between you and God, and as the days and the months and the years go on, you have not created any distance between yourself and him, because he is absolutely committed to tracking you down, to caring for you, to loving for you, to helping you, ultimately to save you. This is Jesus in his gospel. We can run, but Jesus comes running after us. And what Jonah is essentially saying in this moment, in fleeing from the presence of the Lord, is he's saying, God, you know, there's parts of my life that you're not welcome to. There's parts that you can speak to, and I'll listen, but there's other parts you're not welcome. I don't want your voice. God, there's parts of my life that I, I will welcome you into change, but there's other parts of my life you are not welcome here, and you are not welcome to change me. And the truth is, guys, we all, myself included, we have these aspects and these dimensions in our life. And so some of us will we'll sit there and we'll say, God, you know, feel free to bless my finances. You can do that. Don't talk about my girlfriend. Don't want to hear about it. It's none of your business. You're not welcome there. God, there's parts of my life that you're just not welcome to. You're not invited. You have no authority there. I'm not asking you and letting you rule over that part of my life, but I want you to hear this. God is God and we are not. You need to understand this. And we can try really hard to be our own God, to make our own truth, to follow our own way. And what we're going to find is as Jonah did this, it came with a price. But God is ever and always present over and he's always ruling over and speaking over and reigning over as the king of our lives. And there's nothing in our lives that is not subject to his sovereign rule. And there's nowhere that we can run to hide from God. And he is altogether good. His sin made him silly. But let me just say this as well, guys. I'll tell you this. Some of you know this all too well. If you want to run from God there's always going to be a ship waiting to take you. Look back to verse 3. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went. I, I, I picture Jonah taking this big, long journey, and he shows up, and he's saying, man, if I was really supposed to go to Nineveh, there wouldn't be a ship here. Like, I've always wanted to ride in this ship. And man, there's a ship here in Joppa. Like, God, no. This is clearly, God put this here because he wants me to go to Tarshish. It, there's a ship. Doxa, please hear me on this. Don't think that just because something is available that it was God who provided it. You get it? I talked to a guy not long ago. He's having some struggles in his marriage, and we were just talking, and he was telling me, like, hey, my wife doesn't really talk to me anymore. She's not nice to me. She doesn't respect me. She doesn't touch me. I don't remember the last time she's kissed me or given me a hug. But there's this woman at my work, and she does all that. And we talked, and he was just like, man, I just, I think, 
God loves me. He wants me to be happy. You know, and he knows that I'm not happy. It's not fair what's happening in my marriage and the way that my wife's treating me. And if he didn't want me to do this, like, why would this woman be here? Why would she be there? And he started thinking, like, and he was asking that. Rob, tell me, why is this woman in my life if God didn't put her there? And I looked at this guy, and I'm like, it's because Satan is real. Because if you want to run from God, there's always a ship to take you. And I looked at this guy, and I'm like, that's not a ship from God, that's a shipwreck. And you need to go the other direction. Look carefully at verse 3. It says, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. And then look at this next part. So he paid the fare and he went. Guys, I need you to know that Satan will always have a ship waiting for you when you're just determined to run away from God. But I need you to understand this. You can be guaranteed a way out of town, but be very careful because you will pay the fare. He may provide the ride, but you'll pay the fare. It'll cost you. It'll cost you. Is there anyone running this morning? Maybe the Lord has just like spoken really clearly to you about some of the issues in your life. That the Spirit of God through the Word of God has said some things about the life that you're living, the decisions that you're making, and you've just decided, I'm gonna run away from the Lord. Do you think you're gonna achieve anything by that? This is where we leave Jonah. On a ship, trying to flee from the presence of the Lord. But let me just point this out as I wrap up. All right, I don't want to just be informational about what's going on in these first three verses, but I want to be as helpful as I can. And so this, let me give you two things by way of lessons and application here. All right, the first is, is this. this. The first truth that we should take from this is that God is concerned for all of mankind, and we should be too. We're going to see this unfold throughout the story of Jonah, that God is not willing to let anybody, that anybody should perish. This is 2 Peter 3.9. His heart, God's heart is to save. That God loves saving people. He's doing that now. And this reality that God loves and that God saves is why every single one of us is in this room today. And some of you have been running. And I want you to know you're not here on accident. It's not your... Throughout the book of Jonah, guys, we're going to see God's sovereignty is a major theme and his mercy. And we're going to see how this works together. Every single one of us is sovereignly here today by the plan of God and the desire of God. And some of you, you're running from God. You're holding on to your sin. You're living in disobedience and you know it. And you're trying to run. But you, you just need to lay down your pride. You need to lay down your sin. You need to lay down your disobedience. And you need to come to Jesus to find salvation and freedom from sin. Guys, this is what the gospel is all about. That we run from God and God comes running after us by Jesus. This is the truth of Romans chapter 5, verse 8. That while we're still sinners, Jesus died for us. And you need to know that disobedience and sin is a very real problem in our lives. 
And it might not seem like a, a big deal now. You're sailing on the boat. You're on your way to Tarshish. But there is going to come a day, guys, where we will all stand before God. And we will give an account of the life that we live and the sin in our life. And if we are there with our sin on our own, it is going to be awful. There's no salvation at that point. There's just condemnation and damnation. But Jesus, he comes and he lives for us. He dies for us. He raises for us. And when we come to him with our sin, with our disobedience, with all of our uncleanliness, he just takes it willingly, lovingly. He takes it and he gives us his righteousness, taking us out of the path of the wrath of God. This is the gospel. This is what you need. You need to come to Jesus. And it's not for me. It's not for our church. It's for your joy, your eternal joy. Others of you, you're here and you are in Christ. You love Jesus. The gospel has brought you salvation. You're here also by the sovereign decree of God because he wants to remind you through his words to Jonah that the gospel came to you on its way to someone else and he's saying, Christian, arise and go. Arise and go. And he might not be sending you to Nineveh, but he's sure as heck sending you across the street to your neighbor. Who's in front of you right now that God would look at you and say, arise and go? Who do you need to love? Who do you need to put down your phone to engage in a conversation with the love, with the love of God? Who's in your life right now that you just hate? And you're like, I don't, I don't want them to know the mercy and the love of God. Who in here, like they would show up on a Sunday and be like, what the heck is that person doing here? It's the heart of Jonah. That's not the heart of Jesus. And he's saying go. The second thing for us to learn is this. Guys, disobedience is serious and God's grace is great. Jonah's story, which we'll get into more next week, contains a warning against disobedience. Judgment is going to come to Jonah. Discipline. It's serious because sin is serious. But guys, this also gives us a display of divine grace and that it conf- conveys great reluctance. And the great reluctance that you find here in the book of Jonah, guys, is actually not the reluctance of Jonah to do what he's told, but hear this. It's the reluctance of God to leave his servant in dejection, in misery, in sin. What a great God, amen? That because of our sin, God could look at us and be like, you're done. You don't listen, but he runs and he pursues. This is our God, and this God is Jesus. And Jesus comes to us again and again and again, even when we're walking through life with our fingers in our ears and we're like, I don't want to hear you. I'm not listening to you. Don't talk about this. I'm not going to listen. I'm not obeying. I'm not going to do it. And we get on the ship to Tarshish, and Jesus is there, and he's pursuing us, and he's pursuing us, and he's loving us. This is our God. And so we'll discover more of this next week, but for now, let me just ask God to just take all this information from our head and move it to our hearts so we actually move out of here as somewhat different people and not just mowing more stuff about Assyria. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. I thank you for the truth of Romans 5, that while I was running away from you, Jesus, you came running after me, And thank you that you are here and you're pursuing people, every single person here, because your love is great. And I thank you that you're a better savior than we are a sinner. 
And God, I just ask that there's people in here today that are running. They're running after you, or they're running away from you. They're trying to escape your presence. Would you just help them to know a little bit more today, Holy Spirit, of your love and your pursuit in their life? Would they just understand and even feel your presence now? And would you bring them back? Would you help them to just let go of that sin that will just shipwreck their life? And empower them just to live a joy-filled life, walking with Jesus that you've intended all of us to do. Help us. Help us to be a church, God, that would just sit in your presence, walk in your presence, be on mission in your presence, and that we would see and you would allow us the great joy of seeing many people come to know your grace and your mercy through Jesus. And we just ask this, that you would do it. So, Doxa, do you need to stop running today? As you think about your life right now, like what disobedience, what, what sin do you need to lay down and repent of? Let me just show you this. 1 John 1, 9. I love this. Someone in here needs to hear this today. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I'm going to give you some time just to get before the Father right now and just talk to him. This is prayer. And as you go to him, maybe you just strip off the facade and just be real. God knows your heart. He sees your heart. He sees your sin. You're not hiding anything from him. Bring it to him. Ask him to forgive you. Come to Jesus knowing the truth of 1 John 1, 9. And so whatever you need to do, do it right now. Just get before God and just talk to him.